Hey everyone, this is David from Wisconsin. I'm Jack's podcast producer. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Jack has a podcast hotline. You can leave him a voicemail at 920-415-4525. All you got to do is leave your name, where you're from, roughly, and then your question or comment, whatever. Jack really does want to hear from you. Again, that number is 920-415-4525. You can also text your questions to that number or email jack at jack.hager at gmail.com. All of those contacts will be in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Hey there. Good to be with you. And I'm going to talk about two subjects today. I'm going to talk about time and I'm going to talk about the band Skillet. Yes, Skillet. They've been much in the news lately because of some things Cooper has said, and I'm not going to comment on that. I'm just going to give you a little lesson in history. It was probably 1998, maybe 1999, but I think 98. We were living in New York. We were driving to Rhineland, Wisconsin to speak at Crescent Lake Bible Camp. I was driving. My wife was in the passenger seat. My two boys were in the back seat. And as I'm driving down Highway 90, I see a kind of a beat-to-death van with a little trailer on it, and the trailer's got a little sticker on it that says skillet.com. I said, hmm, using my keen intellect, this might be the band Skillet. And again, this is way back when a couple years after they started, but we knew of them and had not seen them yet, but we knew of them and listened to their music. So I pull over and I pull up to them, and I see that it is, in fact, Skillet, and I kind of wave. Oh, I should point out, my wife and the two boys are asleep. So I go, hey, guys, wake up, wake up. Yeah, what's up, Dad? We're passing Skillet. Yeah, right, Dad. And they looked over and they saw it was indeed John Cooper and Skillet. And they waved and they waved back. And then we kind of lapsed back and pulled behind them, drove across the rest of Pennsylvania and much of Ohio. And on that trip, looking at that van, I remember distinctly praying, Lord, if these guys are jerks, don't work it out for us to meet them. But if these guys are the real deal, it would be a thrill for my boys to meet them and me too. So we drove a little further and they pulled off at a rest stop. We pulled off behind them. I walked up to them and said, I know you guys are busy and stuff, but I've got two sons that would love to meet you. And they said, sure. Anyway, they turned in to be fine, fine people, had a good time. My wife made them some sandwiches and we just kind of ate together. They gave the boys some of their merch, which at that time just was a couple skillets, and they went on their merry way. As Providence would have it, a couple years later, I was in St. Louis at a meeting, went for a walk and walked by a hotel and just happened to see a sign that said, skillet, in concert, prayer meeting, third floor, room such and such. I said, hmm. So I walked up there, and there were several youth guys there. There was another youth convention in town, and there was Skillet, and they played with no amps, nothing else. They just played some songs, played some worship songs, played some of their music. We had a good time. They recognized me from a couple years previous, and we had a good time talking about that visit, and it was a cool time. Beat me up, Scotty, a couple years later. We're at a amusement park in New York, And they are there, and we got to see them again. Haven't seen them since, but boy, they've been in the news, and they've kept at it, and I think they're the real deal. And uh, it was just a cool thing to meet them that time. Speaking of time, Mick Jagger says, it's on our side. If you don't understand that reference, well, you must be awfully young.
But anyway, it's not on our side, except in the sense that we are called, commanded, if you will, to redeem it. When you think about it, time is the only irreplaceable thing we have other than people. People can't be replaced. And when that second goes away, it's gone. G-O-N-E. Can't get it back. Can't multiply it. All of us have exactly the same amount of time each day. None of us know how long our time is. It's appointed unto all men once to die, but we usually don't know when that's going to happen. This precious commodity called time. You know, truth is truth, regardless of who says it. So I'm going to go back to my BC days. As you may know, before Jesus Christ captured me by his grace, I was a army brat. I was an alcoholic. I was a Vietnam veteran. I was a drug dealer and a thief and all kinds of other junk uh, up until I was arrested at the age of 26 and ultimately converted. So back in those days, unfortunately, I did a lot of dumb stuff. One of the dumb stuff I did was dealing drugs. And a long time ago, I was in East L.A. A couple of my guys were with me. I had a briefcase full of money. We are going to meet another guy that had a whole lot of drugs. We we're going to make a transaction, go on our merry way. The meeting was supposed to take place at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We got there around 1.30. My guys kind of took a perimeter and made sure nobody was there that wasn't supposed to be there. One guy to the left, one guy to the right, one guy in the car, and me on the ground with the briefcase. Got to be about five after two. Hmm. About 10 after two. Hmm. About quarter after two. Uh-oh. And then the car pulled up. And my supplier got out. He was relatively new to me, but he'd been real reliable. So I was surprised that he was late. And we went together. I gave him my briefcase. He gave me his satchel. Kind of talked a little bit. I started to walk away and he said, Jack, Jack, yeah, I'm really sorry I was late. And I said, hey, no big deal, brother, no big deal. Happened to be a big African-American guy, big. And as I started to walk away after saying no big deal, he said, wait a minute, Jack. That's not exactly what he said, but close to that. And I stopped, turned around and looked at him and he glared at me and he gave this wisdom to me. Again, truth is truth, regardless of who says it. He said, Jack, I can steal your old lady. You can get another girlfriend. I can steal your money. You can get some more cash. I can steal your drugs. I know you can score more drugs, but I just stole 15 minutes of your time and you'll never get it back. Hmm. Time. This precious commodity, time, this thing we have, time, this thing we're commanded to redeem. Of course, time also meant something to me when I was in Vietnam. Probably like 98.9% of the soldiers that arrived in Vietnam, one of the first things I did was make a countdown calendar. For most of us, it was 365. For Marines, it was like 395 because our Marine tour of duty was 13 months Army was 12 months, and I think the rest of the services were about a year. 
So you make this thing, you either put it on your helmet or you put it somewhere in your vehicle, whatever you're doing. And it's just a countdown thing where you X off those days. And probably you've had something similar, something you were really looking forward to. Maybe you got one of those things you could put on your computer that did it for you. Or maybe you just made a little chart for yourself and just Xing those days off. In my case, it was that Vietnam thing. And it got down to 100. Then it got down to 78, what we called a two-digit midget. Then it got down to the single digits. And you're counting off those days. And we knew each one had 24 hours. But the closer we got to going home, those hours seemed to stretch out. Five and a wake-up. Four and a wake-up. Three and a wake-up. One and a wake-up. Hager, Hager, get on the helicopter. You're out of here. You're going home. Got on the helicopter, took me to Benoit Air Force Base, eventually got on a jet, flew to Travis Air Force Base. A little while later, was honorably discharged from the Army. That time had passed. When I got sentenced to 10 years in prison, I didn't make a countdown thing because I sure was hoping I wouldn't have to do the whole time. And you never know. You never know. A lot of sentences have a minimum and a maximum, but most sentences are floating free. And uh, you check into prison, in my case, Oregon State Penitentiary. You check into prison, they give you a whole lot of tests, a whole lot of interviews, and then you meet with the parole board. And the parole board looks at the psych report, the parole board looks at your rap sheet, the parole board looks at your education, and they come up with a plan. And that plan may be to get a GED. That plan may be to uh, take some college classes. That plan may be attend AA or attend other support groups. They give you that plan with the idea that if you do that plan and don't get in any other trouble, the next time you go to the parole board, they may look more favorably at you and perhaps grant you parole. In my case, they just gave me a flop. They didn't make too many suggestions. And when I went to the parole board the first time, they gave me another flop. And the second time, they said, Mr. Hager, you're rehabilitated. We're going to let you go. Which, by the way, is garbage. Prisons don't rehabilitate anybody. You have to change from the inside out. And it's not just through Christ, and it's not just Christ. In other words, coming to Jesus in prison doesn't guarantee that you're going to make it on the street. Coming to Jesus in prison doesn't guarantee that everything is going to be roses when you hit the pavement. It's certainly an advantage. But sometimes guys come in preaching in prison, come to Jesus, all your problems are over. And it's not just the prosperity idiots. It's people who mean well, but it's not true. You come to Christ, doesn't make your problems go away. In some ways, it increases them. And if you've been a mainline heroin addict for five years, or you've been smoking grass for a long time, or if you're hooked on booze, Jesus ain't necessarily going to take it away. But the time thing, you know, all of a sudden I had made parole. And because of the uh, parole board's feeling that my case had got too much publicity, they did not want me to parole in Oregon. They wanted me to go to another state and be their problem. So I wrote a couple letters to a couple different states, and eventually I got accepted by California. It's called reciprocal parole. Now I had to come up with a plan. Most prisons, when you make parole, they require a home plan. In many cases, that's just a home to go to. In a lot of cases, to include mine, it's home and a job, which is pretty tough. But I was eventually able to find a home, 
and I had somebody promise me a job. So I was able to get out of prison, but I didn't know when it was going to happen. Had no idea when it was going to happen. Paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Uh, and all of a sudden, on February 6th of 1977, the warden called me to his office. I checked into his office. He said, Mr. Hager, you've been released on parole. You will be released tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, and you'll have 24 hours to report to your parole officer in Los Angeles. I went back to my cell. Obviously, I didn't sleep that night because the possibilities were that I was going to get out of prison at seven in the morning. But that's all it was, was a possibility. You see, in prison, you have no idea what's going to happen. In life, you have no idea what's going to happen. But in prison, it's kind of a sketchy thing. You could be killed because you're a certain color. You could be killed before because somebody started a rumor about you. A riot could break out and somehow you get caught up in it. So I just stayed awake, stayed alert. 6.30 came, they boosted me out of my cell, went down, got into my civvies, got out. They drove me to the airport. I was able to fly down to Los Angeles. My brother picked me up, and that's a whole other story. I was out. I had done just under four years, and I was on the pavement. Time is a precious thing. And when I hit the street, the time of being free, really free, because Jesus had captured me in jail while I was en route to prison. So for the first time, I knew truth. Not a truth, not my truth, not some truth, but the truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I knew the truth. He had set me free, and I've strived to follow him. I failed him dismally, but I've strived to follow him and now as I'm uh, pretty old, older than dirt, recognizing that my time is in some way short, it could be over before I finished a sentence. With what's going on in the Ukraine and North Korea, it could be over in a cloud of nuclear dust. But one thing I know, my death will not surprise my Savior. He knows exactly when and how I'm going to die. And whether that's six months or 20 years, I prefer the latter. I want to redeem that time. Quite frankly, if you feel like praying for me, pray that I finish well. I don't ever want to bring disgrace on the name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 69, 6 says, May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. I don't want to be the cause of shame to the cause of Christ. I want to finish well. What does that look like? I'm not sure. I'm booked for five weeks of summer camp and one week of family camp next summer, if summer happens. So maybe I'll still be in youth ministry when I'm 90. <laughs> Reminds me, I knew a counselor in Kansas City. She died at about 92 and the summer before she died, she spent two weeks counseling at the camp that I was working at in those days. And people loved her. And she was sharp. And yeah, selfishly, I pray, I'd rather just drop than go into some dementia thing or something. I guess not so much for my sake, but for the sake of my wife and family. But God's got that. God's got that all under his control. And I don't know how old you are. I don't know how young you are. 
I don't know what health issues you have or don't have, but this I do know, God loves you. He loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. As Max Lucado said, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He loves you. And he proved his love toward you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And he was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection three days later. And this Jesus is alive. And he wants to be personal and powerful in your life. If you've not yet turned from sin and trusted Christ, I beg you to do that. If you're not sure about all this Jesus stuff, would you read the Gospel of John? Just read it. If you have any questions at all, contact me. I'd be glad to, glad to answer any questions you have or try to. I won't play any games with you. If I don't know the answer, I'll say, I don't know. And if you are a Christian, seize the moments. Seize the opportunities. Seize the privilege you have now to brag on Jesus Christ. Find ways to do it. Make ways to do it. If you need help in that, give me a call. Send me an email. Send me a carrier pigeon. Do something. Time is not on our side, but it's a precious gift, a gift to redeem. And one of these days, that thing called time will cease. Because time's a man word. It's not a God word. We get to live eternally in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We get to be in a place where sin has no place. We get to live in a place that has no pain. We get to live. When's the last time you thought about that? I can only imagine. Hey, it's been a joy to share with you. I count it a privilege and I, I count it an honor for you to make the time to listen. Until next time, Jack Hager, adios. Adios.